0: 365 episodes. You know what this means? We're depressingly old? No, that's been true for a while. No, it means that a person could listen to an episode of this podcast every day for an entire year. Well, unless it's a leap year. Yeah, there's no such thing as a leap year. Sorry, that was a, uh, <laughs> it was a prank we were playing on you that got way out of hand.
1: But... All of my happy 29th of February greeting cards? Wh- what about my what about my happy 29th of February greeting
0: cards? Fakes the lot of them, but that's not the point. The point is that our grand working is complete. A podcast every day. The Wheel of Fates is in motion and our eternal opus moves into being.
1: Have you started drinking? Do you need to start drinking?
0: But oh, the the grand working? The the thing we've been building towards this entire time? Oh, Yes, sorry. The Working.
1: Yes! You know I made that up, right? Yeah. What? Did you really believe that all of our year's podcasting were really a secret plot to invoke a Crowley-esque occult ritual that would influence the gods of television into retroactively producing more episodes of the seminal and classic late-90s animated sitcom The Critic? Well,
0: I mean... When you say it out loud.
1: Exactly. Now, who is pranking home? I was onto your leap year ploy from the start. This was all my plan
0: from the beginning. <laughs> or at least, that's what I wanted you to think. For you see, no, 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 no no, 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 no,
1: no, not doing this. Roll the theme.
0: Fine. I'm going home to sleep with my wife. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Dentith. Hello, you're listening to The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Addison and in Zhuhai, China, its Associate Professor of Philosophy and avant-garde taxidermist, Dr. M. R. X. Dentith.
1: I thought one of these things was meant to be a lie. Yeah?
0: It will be eventually.
1: (laughs) Sorry, uh, (laughs) am I going to stop being an adverb taxi therapist at some point or I'll get fired from being an
0: associate professor? No, I'm just saying eventually one of the things I say will be a lie about you, but it it, it hasn't happened yet, obviously. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So are you aware that
1: the only YouTube strike that we've had, at least on the version of the podcast, that I've put on my channel is for using a very small section of shake, rattle, and roll the last time we made a clue reference.
0: No, did we do that? I didn't even remember. Did you stick a little clip in and it got pinged? I did,
1: yeah. yeah, oh. and, and we got pinged for about the three seconds of
0: shake, rattle, and roll. I said shake, Weird. rattle, and roll. Because we did get done that one time uh, when you put a clip of a, a numbers station which oh, turned yeah, so we Which didn't is get... why I
1: then created my own mm. number station clip that we can use in future episodes if we ever want to do number stations mm. again.
0: Although that one didn't get taken down, did it? It just got just got little no, notice. Got yeah. 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 Anyway, no. So you've 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 been stepping out on me again. I understand with some other fancy podcast.
1: Well, two fancy podcasts. Two fancy so...
0: podcasts. Ah. You so make you I look got fool. interviewed on
1: Embrace the Void about my views on particularism, and I also was on In Time, which was talking about medical conspiracy theories. So I've been, I've been stepping out. I've had quite the adventurous mm. podcasting week, and it, it will just continue, Josh. It will just continue.
0: Well, it's like I always say, you're a painted Jezebel, and you'll never be any good.
1: That that is what reviewer B said about my last last
0: article. Ah, that explains that little disclaimer you added to the end of it. Anyway, uh, do do we have anything to talk about before we start the episode apart from your repeated infidelities?
1: No, no, no. So instead, I think we should we should go back in time.
0: Back almost, oh, well, actually, long over way, eight, long way back eight, in time, eight
1: hundred years, mm. and talk about a whole bunch of stuff which has no doesn't, substance it. doesn't really whatsoever. make any
0: sense. But it's okay. Yeah. Play a Sting and we'll do that.
1: Actually, that's a, that's a guaranteed way. It's a guaranteed to get, strike, yeah. Because Nintendo does not like using any of their intellectual property. Mm. I'll put a Sting in here.
0: So, um, for those of you, can you hear the racket in the background at the moment? I by can the indeed. That is my children washing the dishes with violence.
1: Are you sure, not, the of are not sure they're not just throwing the dishes out and then unwrapping new dishes from a box. Because it sounds more like like they're replacing the dishes with fresh dishes they've bought from elsewhere.
0: Quite possible. As long as they as long as they're clean at the end of it, I don't care. But anyway, if you tuned in to the little filler episode last week, you'll you'll have heard me go over. A bunch of articles from uh, an, an at-the-time unnamed website, which were uh, which is the source for the main thing we're going to be talking about uh, right now. The, art, the the website, rather, is called Truth Control, www.truthcontrol.com, and the specific article we're looking at today is called The Treaty of 1213, The Beginning of the Lie, which... Uh, at, Found its way onto our list of things we could possibly do a podcast episode about via you. Where did you hear about this, if you can I'm even remember?
1: I'm really sure it was linked to from the email list I belong to Wake Up Kiwi, which is the, the email that I get once a month telling me with assurance that this is the point in time where the globalists are losing control of the narrative and it's all going to shut down. And they've been saying that now for about eight years, and they're beginning to repeat the same links again and again and again. And I'm fairly sure this was one of the many things of, oh, actually that looks vaguely interesting. We might want to do an episode about that at some point.
0: Mm. Well, there we go. Yes. Yeah, so, if you did listen in last week, you'd have heard the the other articles on the site. There was a lot of a lot of sort of Illuminati, New World Ordery stuff. There was uh, a lot of the existence of alien stuff. There was a bit of, a bit of sort of religion, a bit, a bit of anti-organized religion, but pro religion itself. There, there's a lot of of. a sort top
1: one hundred list of conspiracy top theories. 100 some conspiracies. of which are going to surprise you, mm,
0: but not many, to be honest. And this, th- this article. Carries on to that theme a bit When I started reading through it, I thought This this is a, a bit sort of sovereign citizen-y Although it seems to be coming at it from a different direction I wonder if it's really sovereign citizen stuff Or if it's just sort of adjacent to the whole thing And then I got to the end and I was okay, you know This is sovereign citizen stuff, this is just 100% Sovereign citizen, freeman on the land, business Because it's basically, from what I could gather And and as we'll see, it, it, it gets a bit murky It seems to basically say that the Pope runs the world or at least the Western I mean,
1: world. I mean, doesn't it?
0: And that we're all, we're all slaves or, should to the I, state. No, should I
1: say, don't they? I mean, there are currently two popes, and if the rumours are true, and Francis is thinking about retiring, soon there could be three popes. I think there's a conspiracy at the moment to have as many popes as possible. But going, mm. I mean, you have to be pope for a certain amount of time before you can retire. So as long as we just keep on appointing popes and the other ones don't die, we could just have popes up the
0: wazoo. Yeah. Well, is Benedict technically still pope because it's for life or something? Even if fifty yeah. percent, yeah, no, he is—he mm, is, he is not the other pope.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's—he's still—he's still a pontiff. He's just simply not the reigning pontiff.
0: How mm, about that? But anyway, so I mean, this actually, article, so actually, so actually, no? it's
1: actually, worth n- noting this because one of the one of the tricky problems the Catholic Church has, and I say it as if there's not many tricky problems mm. the Catholic Church has, one of many
0: of them, yes.
1: You can't really defrock someone from an elevated position when they get there unless they engage in some kind of blasphemy or mortal sin, which allows you to then excommunicate them. So this has always been an issue with respect to bishops, archbishops, and cardinals who have been found to have broken the law, but not broken canon law. So, for example, you know, all of those priests, bishops, archbishops, and cardinals who... Get investigated for sex offenses, which turn out to be not quite against canon law, even if they're against the civil or criminal legal codes of the countries in which they reside. It turns out that is not a fireable offense because once you're given a particular title in the Catholic Church, you basically have that title for life. So once you become Pope, even if you retire you remain Pope in the same respect that you can be a cardinal who's a very naughty boy. And of course, that's one of the things we don't have to worry about being sexist about that because all cardinals yep. are men, according to Catholic doctrine. Once you become a cardinal, you're basically set for life unless you're actually willing to stand up on a pulpit and deny the existence of God.
0: Right. That's bit like being a made man in the mafia, I assume. And that they're also right. Well, I suspect it's, I it's almost
1: exactly like being a made man mm. in the mafia. Given that almost all cardinals are Italian, and most cardinals are probably linked to a mafiosa fa- family or some criminal syndicate through a family connection. Yes, you you know, here the, fo- folks, yeah. the mafia controls the church. And the church, as we're about to discover, controls the world. So, epto facto, the mafia controls the world.
0: Yes. Now, before we say anything else that might get us dead animal heads in our beds, maybe we should we, we should look at the, the specific claims made by this article. So, this this goes all the way back, all the way back to pre-1066. So, before the Norman invasion of England in 1066, apparently the people of England held allodial title, to their land. The article didn't, doesn't do a great job of explaining what that means so I had to look it up. allodial means without a lord, land without a lord. So if you have allodial title to land you don't have a lord or a landlord, you don't tithe, you don't pay rent, you don't have any, any feudal duties. Um, interesting, while I was googling to find out uh, what that word meant. I found there was an article from just last year about some squatters making an allodial claim to a $1 million homestead here in New Zealand. These people showed up and claimed that um, th- there's a historic British common law that says by erecting a flag and planting a crop on an un- abandoned property, you're entitled to own it. So these these people went into this this million-dollar homestead that was currently unoccupied and said yet yeah, we live here now, we're making an allodial claim. And as I understand it, the courts basically said, yeah, that's not a thing and it hasn't been a thing for a thousand years, go away. So
1: Yeah, I believe I believe the I mean, so I mean there are still squatters rights in the UK, but the elodial stuff, I believe <laughs> was rescinded back sometime in the 1960s or so.
0: So anyway, 1066, the Normans invade, William the Conqueror, Harold takes an arrow in the eye or possibly doesn't. People might have just misread that bit of the Bayou Tapestries. But anyway, so the, 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 the Frenchies, I mean, they weren't French then, obviously. It was 1066, but they took over the country. And so William the Conqueror, as the Conqueror, then took everyone's land and no one had allodial title anymore. They were all beholden to some manner of lord or other. So it then skips forward 100 years, 133 years, to 1199 where King John passed the law of Mortman or dead hand. And this was the law that basically said you can't leave your land to the church unless you've got the king's permission to do so. Now the law of Mortman is a real thing but again I, I looked this one up and um couldn't find any mention of it actually being put in be, being enforced um until the late 1200s edward the is was listed as the first person to pass that law so already the history is looking a little bit a little bit sketchy
1: yeah so i did some research into this as well and like you, I couldn't find anything pre-Edward I. Now, we'll probably talk a little bit as to why they're trying to associate this with King John late, late later on. But what I did find interesting was the rationale as to why the law of Motmain was initially put forward, which was basically that if you gave your land to the church, you could never get it back. Because the whole point was you gave your land to a person, that person would then die, and then the land would return back to the feudal lord that controlled that parcel of land in England. But the church and its associated ministries do not die as, cor- as corporations. So once the church had its grubby little hands on a parcel of land, the feudal lord had no way to get that back. And, of course, the church was really keen on this. They were quite keen on accruing lots of land. So they were encouraging peasants to, you know, or other smaller lords within feudal titles, give us your land when you die. And the feudal lords were going, no, 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 we can't have that, which is why Edward I then goes, yeah, we really can't have that because there's a grave danger that I will start losing my land as well. To well-meaning simpletons giving their land to the church, so mm. it was very much a financial motivation to go. No, 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 I want to make money from this land. I don't want abbots to be or bishops to be making money from this land. Instead, it should go to me, not you.
0: Mm. Yes, I think certainly when it came to the the crown and the church, it was all about the money. But also, there there could be advantage to um, the people. You're sort of like, why would you give your land to the church? Um, I, I possibly there are reasons about you know because they think it'll help them get into heaven or something. But also again, under the feudal system, you have feudal duties towards your lord. If if they go to war, you might get called up to fight for them and what have you. If you give if the church is now your landlord, um, you're much less likely to have to have Have the same sort of duties towards them unless there's so, a whole
1: a holy crusade, a holy war yes. go- going on at which point the Pope will say you have to send yourself and the king might be going oh but we're not sending troops you go oh God damn it I'm living in the wrong parcel of land
0: yes so anyway according to this article, King John passed the law of Mortman uh, which of course made the church unhappy because he's he's now stopping this flow of land uh, being, being bequeathed to them and so they excommunicated him for it uh, and King John did not appreciate being excommunicated wanted to get back into the church's good books and so according to this article here i quote king john was excommunicated and in trying to regain his stature he groveled before the pope and returned the title to his kingdoms of england and ireland to the pope as vassals and swore submission and loyalty to him king john accepted langton as archbishop of canterbury and offered the pope a vassals bond of fealty and homage Two months later, in July of 1213, King John was absolved of excommunication at Winchester by the returned Archbishop of Canterbury, Langton. On October the 3rd, 1213, by treaty, King John ratified his surrender of his kingdoms to the Pope as Vicar of Christ who uh, claimed ownership of everything and everyone on earth as tradition. So this is the Treaty of, of, of 1213 that the article concerns. Now, the first question... Did did that actually happen?
1: Actually, no, actually, before we get to that first question, I really want to say it's quite amazing that a king of England can give to the Pope ownership of everything and everyone on earth. I mean, what typical English arrogance to go, oh, well, you know, we'll just give you everything. I mean, we are the English after all. We probably should control it all. And now we'll give it to you, the Italian Pope.
0: Well, it, it says that the Pope claimed ownership of everything. King John... I think yeah, just gave me King, King John I still suppose, has
1: to sign the hmm. treaty going, Oh yes, by the way, I'm using my kingly author authority to give you everything. Yes. Say, yes. No, that is that is English apparently arrogance.
0: That is apparently what happened uh in, in twelve thirteen. So again I I didn't I didn't do a, lo- a lot of looking around here, but I had a quick browse through Wikipedia, for instance. Um Ah, uh,
1: good old reliable good old, good Wikipedia, old... I say, giving it the side eye. Yes,
0: uh, that, that said, I would, if, if it's a choice between Wikipedia and an article on a website that um, Called Truth gives us Control. Reason, dot com, truthcontrol.com, about, and has lots of articles about why we should believe in aliens and who the uh, who the secret rulers of the world are, I'll bend towards Wikipedia. But certainly they, they mention... Nothing about this. They say, I mean, yes, John, King John was excommunicated. He did negotiate terms for a reconciliation and um, term, papal terms for submission, according to um, Wikipedia. Papal terms for submission were accepted in the presence of the papal legate Pandolf Veraccio in May 1213 uh, at the Templar Church at Dover. All the Templars. And surprisingly, that doesn't get much mention here and uh he goes through the um the the details of his um his his settlement here um so certainly I, I, mean, should, tell,
1: uh, I should point out there's a really interesting thing here about the equivalent amount of money for England versus Ireland, so seven hundred marks or four hundred and sixty six pounds. I'm assuming that's in money then as opposed money to then, money yes, no, to, not, money money mm-hmm. today for England, and less than half. For Ireland, only three hundred marks or two hundred pounds. Mm. Irish should be seriously de- devalued
0: there. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so, I mean there was a there was some sort of uh, uh, restitution, perhaps that the king paid towards the pope, but the, the, it doesn't seem to go as far as um, uh, handing over the entirety of England to the church and saying that now they own all the land. It also says that um, he paid some of the money he had promised to the church, but he actually stopped making payments in uh, late 1214. And apparently the Pope uh, conveniently forgot that the king still owed them a bunch of money in the, in the name of smoothing things over. So again, a cursory glance of history does not appear to support what the article is claiming.
1: Yeah, and the problem here, because they're associating King John's activities with what Edward I is going to do later on with the law of Mortmain, is that the authors are going, oh, look, John had to grovel towards the Pope and return kingly authority back to the vatican sea this must be the point where things were being attributed back basically they're they're not understanding exactly what the issue was back in england at the time so end of the 10th century beginning of the 11th century because i'm I'm, getting, I'm i'm getting my centuries right so 11th century would be the 1200s yes. 10th century yeah yeah so I, yeah. i'm getting those right. i was we have a stupid dating system. We ju- I just
0: dates. say 1100s and 1200s because yeah. I get confused as well.
1: Although then historians get concerned that 1100s and 1200s is basically 1100 to 1110, and 1200 is 1200 to 1210. So it, it, it's a very stupid system in is every a- single way possible. But the reason why there was this contretemps between John and the Pope was not because of land or monies or vassal states, the issue was the Archbishop of Canterbury had died. the Holy See in Rome wanted one particular person to be the next Archbishop of Canterbury. John elected for a different bishop to be elevated to Archbishop of can Canterbury. The Holy See said this is unacceptable, excommunicated John as a result for exceeding his temporal power. That then had the problem of the King of England was now excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church, which meant that not only was he going to hell, because he was no longer one of the saved, but also as he was no longer one of the saved, this then opened him up to a potential crisis of succession or indeed usurpation because it's not being a a catholic in good standing someone else might go well we can't have a heretical king on the throne now can we and that's why he groveled to the holy see in rome to return himself to a position of safety and that also meant that he had to show a certain amount of deference towards the Holy See, such as, you know, providing the Holy See with land and money as a consequence of showing how contrite he was. So the issue here isn't what they want it to be, that it's this fight between the feudal lords and the Holy See. It's more a religious fight. It just turns out that by John doing this thing, he also pissed off the feudal lords in England at the same time because they were going, yeah, but the Holy See keeps on taking our land and now you're giving it more land and also money. You're kind of making the crisis we're pointing out to you even worse, which is why you get the kind of reforms you see with Edward I later on.
0: Mm. But yes, as you say, now, even even according to this article, which as we've seen is already diverging slightly from... Uh, what we think we know about history. I nevertheless agree that, yes, like you say, the barons were not happy about this. The feudal lords uh, were now angry at King the He had smoothed things over with the Vatican, but now had problems back at home, and so there was sort of this, this feudal revolt of sorts. And so to get back in the good books with the barons, th- this is where the Magna Carta comes in. Uh, which was signed in 1215 Now I know almost nothing about the Magna Carta I went and had a look up of that as well I thought it was the sort of foundational document I see it was signed by King John and the Barons And both parties immediately started ignoring it And, and violating its terms pretty much immediately I mean, isn't
1: that such an English thing to do? Sign isn't a contract it? with uh-huh. a whole bunch of people And then immediately break that contract? I mean, there's a treaty back home which also seemed to be be broken the very minute it was signed as well
0: yes, yes, it's almost a yes. history, with it's the English true. just
1: keeps on repeating again and again and again. welcome to the podcaster's guide to really hating the english if you're an, yes, I mean, if you're an, if you're an english listener, I'm so so sorry I'm just so yes. sorry
0: I mean in the twelve hundreds the English are really the French, i think uh in the, uh, to to a great extent, but yes. Um now so, so it's, it's sort of going backwards and forwards the pope's angry at the king so he 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 signs over control of, of all of everything now the barons are angry with the king so he signs the magna carta so the problem the, the the whole argument here in this article seems to be that the magna carta is completely void because it couldn't possibly be legitimate because there was this the, this treaty in in twelve thirteen was a contract between the king and the Vatican, and here, here we start getting contract. And this is those the sovereign citizens; they love a contract. It's all about contracts with them. It's the, the contract is the most most sacred and viola- and inviolable thing that there could possibly ever be. And so they're basically saying, so the Magna Carta, Magna Carta had to have been void because. It was between the king and the Vatican, and the barons can't come along and say no, we're we, we don't like your contract because they're not part of that contract. So it could never have been. That could never have been. Apparently, in the real world, the Pope was the one who eventually declared that the Magna Carta was void. But anyway, it, to to put it in the words of the article itself, what did the contract of 1213 A.D. create? A trust, all caps, or contract, all caps. Only the two parties, the king's ears and the pope, can break the contract, for the trust-slash-contract cannot be broken as long as there are ears to both sides of the contract.
1: These people are really, really big on contracts being... So big in, on contracts. Vi- invi- ...inviolable, as if mm. nobody breaks contracts, or indeed contracts aren't broken routinely throughout political history. I mean, if these people discovered that there was a contract signed by the ancient Roman in, let's say, 300 BC. They go, oh, look, that contract stands. Unless that contract was ever rescinded by the Roman Senate, it must be standing today. And so by ancient Roman law, if I see an Etruscan on my property, I am entitled to remove their scapulum.
0: Mm. There's, yeah, as actually, as we will see in uh, when we get to the bonus episode, and we'll talk about a um, a recent case along these lines. Yeah, it's it's all about contracts, and the, part of the sovereign citizen thing is believing that the state is constantly trying to trick you into entering into a contract with them. And once once you're in a contract with the state, then all your rights are gone, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So, yes, they take their contracts very seriously, and it seems to be that the whole thrust of this article is that this 1213 treaty is is the only thing that applies. This, This treaty was made, a contract was formed, and nothing else can be done to break that unless the king's heirs or the Catholic Church chose to break the contract.
1: And I just want to point out, I mean... By their gloss, for the trust contract cannot be broken as long as there are heirs to both sides of the contract. Now, two problems here. One, the whole point of the British royal family is it's not the same royal family as some of the earlier royal families, given that there have been fights between the noble houses of the United Kingdom. And so the lineages are not clearly going back to one central king three thousand years ago they go back to various families that won wars or battles at some point and so popes don't have, popes don't have well i say popes don't have hairs actually some of them do some of the some popes of them were do, very do. Very, yes. very naughty men who had mm. a large number of children but in most cases those children never ascended the throne of saint peter so you can't go. Oh, the heirs of the Pope. Popes don't have heirs. Popes are replaced, and they have successors. And all well, that hinges I mean, on the definition of heir here.
0: Yes, if you if if you take a more general, not necessarily familial inheritance, but you could I suppose you could say that one pope inherits the station and powers of his predecessor. I don't know. But
1: maybe. the point still stands that given the way that treaties work with respect to kingly lineages. Once a royal family gets replaced by another successor royal family, those treaties, unless that family decides to adopt them, go, we're going to continue the sta- status quo, they can effectively just go, yeah, that was that was an agreement that you signed with the Roses, where the, who was the Roses? Tudors? And- yeah, the Tudors. Right. We're, yeah. we're the Tudors now. That that agreement doesn't stand. That was that was with those people. Take it up with the remnants of that house. We're gonna do things differently now. Maybe we'll have pantomime in the street. Maybe we'll ban plays. Who knows? We're gonna do things differently.
0: Mm. But yeah, so th- this th- th- there's a bunch more from here, but from what I could gather and I'm not 100% on this but from what I could gather the thrust of this article is that that 1213 treaty was never was never broken and so it applies to this very direature that anything that came after that is invalid because it's 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 um against this treaty that that still exists so for instance the american constitution um is invalid and um because uh, because it is. And I mean, it was a British well, colony. I mean, John, just, I mean in...
1: America is a former British colony, and you can't revolt against that because the Constitution relies. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, it's, there's, I, sure. mean, I mean, it's case it of just the constitution, does. Trust me, it yeah, does. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, we're actually going to find out apparently why it does very shortly. Because we're about Ooh. to talk about the secret treaty of Verona, something which every time I say the word Verona, all I can think of is that terrible Elminop song, Verona.
0: Ah, I, I I just immediately think my Sharona by
1: yes, yeah. when yeah. I signed you in Verona, you sat down, I moved over, pretty contract, but all I saw was you Some, yeah, something something no. along along those lines.
0: Yes. Anyway, this yes. Yeah, so at this point up. It brings up the secret Treaty of Verona, apparently made on the 22nd of November, 1822, in which the parties uh, basically pledge to end representative democracy, control the press, and and do whatever it is that the Pope says. Now, do we want to read me, out the whole text yeah, of it? Yeah.
1: Let me read you this article, because I did some research on the Treaty of Verona, and I didn't go to Wikipedia. I went to academic sources. Oh, ladida! I work <laughs> in a university and can download these things. So, this is the text, and actually, the te- we'll actually talk about what's odd about the text shortly. But this is the text of the Secret Treaty of Verona. The undersigned, specially authorized to make additions to the Treaty of the Holy Alliance, after having exchanged their respective credentials, have agreed as follows: Article One. The high contracting powers being convinced that the system of representative government is equally as incompatible with the monarchical principles as the maxim of the sovereignty of the people with the divine right, engage mutually in the most solemn manner to use all their efforts to put an end to the system of representative governments in whatever country it may exist in Europe, and to prevent its being introduced in those countries where it is not yet known. Article 2. As it cannot be doubted that the liberty of the press is the most powerful means used by the pretended supporters of the rights of nations to the detriment of those of princes, the high contracting parties promise reciprocally to adopt all proper measures to suppress it, not only in their own state, but also in the rest of Europe. Article 3. Convinced that the principles of religion can contribute most powerfully to keeping nations in the state of passive obedience, which they owe to their princes, the high contracting parties declare it to be their intention to sustain in their respective states those measures which the clergy may adopt with the aim of ameliorating their own interests, so intimately connected with the preservation of the authority of the princes, and the contracting powers join in offering their thanks to the Pope for what he has already done for them, and solicit his constant cooperation in their views of submitting the nations.
0: Yes, I see at the start the additions to the Treaty of the Holy Alliance... Which I think is meant to be the Treaty of 1213 So these are these are like These are amendments These are extra stipulations Added on to that treaty Or so it claims
1: Or at least so is intimated
0: So is intimated, yes So at this point the article says Um <clears throat> Do we have a false god before us and worship him and his church instead of the real Lord, Jesus, and his government? The divine right of kings exists in Clinton. Interesting they say Clinton. This article was published 2009, but they speak as though Clinton's president. So I, I wonder if it's been a reprinted thing from from the or 90s. Or maybe,
1: maybe she is president. Yeah. I'm wondering whether they're going, ah, Hillary's the real power behind the current throne.
0: Could even be. Uh, but at any rate, the divine right of kings exists in Clinton and every governor of the states and corporate union. Well, let me go on record and say that the Lord gave me the same right as the Pope claims was given to him. Am I not a steward upon the land of the Lord as a mere sojourner, the same as the Pope? i not you also a steward. Did the hey, Lord Patrick make... A steward. If we're lucky... Did the Lord make a covenant with Adam and Eve to subdue the earth and reign over the animals and to populate the earth? Doesn't that contract still exist? And doesn't it exist with you also? And we, the true believers in that contract, can we take all the nations, brackets, man's laws in the world and dump them in the ocean to regain our rightful place on this earth under the Lord's natural law to thwart the contract between King John and the Pope that appears to defeat the original contract the Lord made with man? Love a contract, those sovereign citizens. No. My answer is just no. No. Yep. but uh, okay, so you found out about the supposed secret treaty of Verona then, what, um, what's the deal there?
1: Right, so I am citing from the secret treaty of Verona a newspaper forgery, and I think the, the title of the yeah. article kind of gives away the conclusion. By one T.R. Schellenberg, which was published in the Journal of Modern History back in 1935, so this is... It's almost a hundred years old, and the, what's interesting about the conclusion of this particular piece is it's treating the Treaty of Verona as being a historical oddity that nobody cares about. Uh, little did T. R. Schellenberg realize that nearly a hundred years later, this forgery would come back to haunt everyone in the same way that other famous forgeries which were debunked at the time have come back to ha- haunt us say like the protocols of the learned elders of zion etc etc mm. now when the when this particular treaty is talking about a holy alliance it's not really referencing anything to do with king john at all it's referencing the nation states of europe which were Catholic, and the activities they were engaging in, particularly around a recent revolution in Spain, which was causing the British some consternation. So we're going back here to the mid-19th century. There were congresses going on in Europe at the time, which were largely different nation-states, so Austria, Spain... Germany, France and Russia talking amongst themselves trying to prevent the outbreak of large-scale war on the con- on the continent. And Britain really wasn't keen on this. And this always makes me think of that line in Yes Minister, where Sir Humphrey explains that the entire purpose of the British civil service, by and large, is to keep the Europeans fighting amongst themselves which will then further British interests abroad. So it's always been in the interests of the United Kingdom to have a disunited Europe because it allows the UK to do whatever it likes. A united Europe has always been a very frightening prospect to a particular kind of British politician. Once again, welcome to the podcasters' guide to really hating on the English. Now, the Brits at the time thought that because of the situation in Spain, where the king, King Ferdinand I, had been deposed by revolutionaries, they were sure that France was about to engage in large-scale military action to invade Spain and return Ferdinand to the court and the monarch of Spain. And they were also convinced that other nation-states in Europe, particularly Russia, were going to lend military aid. And indeed, many newspapers kept on harping on about how there was going to be this grand alliance in Europe, which were going to restore the monarchy to Spain. And the United Kingdom, which was by this time a parliamentary democracy, was going, well, that's that's a bit of a concern, because, you know, what if those Catholics turn their eyes towards Britain? So, A London newspaper in 1823, the Morning Chronicle, started producing false reports, or what we call disinformation, about how there were Russian forces in Verona that were going to march in lockstep with French forces into Spain to return Ferdinand to the crown. And this didn't occur. So the Morning Chronicle one day revealed via a secret correspondent the so-called Secret Treaty of Verona, which they printed in English in the front pages of their newspaper. And to quote the article, This document explained the failure of the paper's conjectures to materialize by the stipulation that the three northern powers, in confiding to France the task of putting an end to the revolutionary disturbances in Spain and Portugal... Assure her of assistance which may at least compromise them with their people and with the French people by means of a subsidy on the part of the two emperors of 20 million, is that 20 million or 20 billion francs? 20
0: 20, million?
1: Yeah, it is 20 million francs per annum. Now, what's interesting about this, and I know I say what's interesting about this about everything, but what is interesting about this is the treaty was exposed as a forgery that very afternoon by another London newspaper. So the members of those courts living in London pointed out to the sun, of all things, that the the tabloid rag that we know and hate today, The Sun, they pointed out to The Sun this was an obvious forgery because it contradicts itself in numerous places in the original text, and they point out that the author of this is either a satirist, a humorist, or someone who has a political agenda. Now, the Morning Chronicle tried to downplay this by simply claiming that the treaty was itself not particularly special, it just reflected other reports coming in from the continent, but by and large, the English were going, "Yeah, you, uh, you got caught out printing a falsehood, you naughty editor of the Morning Chronicle, you naughty, naughty, it, e- na- naughty, naughty editor." But the problem is, by the time this was pointed out, the treaty in question had already got to France, where it was translated into French and printed it in what I'm assuming is *Pilote*, which is a Parisian newspaper. Mm. Now, the French authorities actually imprisoned the editor of the newspaper for putting a forgery in the front pages of a Parisian newspaper. But the Morning Chronicle back in the United Kingdom used this as further evidence of a democratic put-down of information on the continent. Mm, It's the stuff they don't want you to know. Precisely. Mm. And it is one of the dangers of, say, imprisoning editors of newspapers for misinformation is that certain people who think the misinformation isn't, in fact, misinformation, are then going to go, well, look, they're suppressing the truth, Joshua. They're mm. suppressing the truth. But they're saying it in a French accent. They're suppressing the truth, Joshua. They are suppressing the
0: truth. That sounds more amazing. Belgian to me. Mm.
1: With the grey cells, the truth is being suppressed. Now, by the time this is going on in France, this treaty is has got itself to New York And then it gets to Washington, and then it gets to South Carolina, and it starts to explode in popularity because, of course, the United States is in very much one of its isolationist moods and wants to show that there's a good reason why they should be isolated from the decadent old world because, look, the Democratic Republic of the United States is standing against the kind of things the secret treaty of Verona is advocating. And this just shows you the danger of the old old world. And the other thing which is interesting about this is that by the time the treaty gets to America, it's not the English version that was printed in the Morning Chronicle. It's a translation of the French version of the treaty. That appeared in Paris, which is itself a translation of the English version. So you have a very bizarre translation of the work, which actually also reflects some of the bizarre aspects of the pro of the protocols, which ended up having a very strange translation effect from French to Russian to to English, and then getting retranslated back into French. Again, so there's this very long history mm. of using translations of translations when there's an original text you actually could refer to, although I should point out in both in both the treaties case and the protocol's case, there's no authentic original text. There's simply an authentic original, forgery. Yes. Yeah. There's a forgery that mm. you, you could refer to without having to go with the translation of a translation. And because America's in its isolationist mode, This text ends up being cited in a large number of books advocating for isolationist policies. It gets used as a justification of racism towards recent European immigrants at the time. So there was a large influx of Poles to America at this time. The secret treaty of Verona was used as a reason to be very suspicious of these Catholic Poles because they probably have allegiances to the Pope. And aren't going to be good citizens of America. The treaty plays a foundational role in the formation of the Monroe Doctrine by President Monroe that very year in 1823, where Monroe came up with a foreign policy position that said that European colonization in the Western Hemisphere, i.e., North and South America, ought to be opposed, as any intervention by those old world powers in the political affairs of the Americas would be a potentially hostile act because they'd be against the kind of representative governments and democratic oversight that America was advocating for at the time because the secret treaty of Verona is very anti-democratic and anti-the free, uh, free press and thus it ends up being really popular in the United States throughout the course of the 19th century fading into obscurity in the early 20th century only to have been resurrected in the latter part of the 20th century and now appearing in conspiracy theory websites in the 21st century is evidence that the pope controls everything
0: Mm. so Let's pretend everything you just said isn't true, and that the Secret Treaty of Verona is a real thing, so that we can so that we can wrap up the rest of this article, which sort of relies on it a little bit. So, towards the end, there the the author of the article talks brings up a bunch of things, including the idea that the King James Bible has been deliberately tran- mistranslated to support the goals of King James and the Pope. For the, the the author gives as an example. That uh, they they read apparently so in a in, in a version of some Bible somewhere that when Jesus was on the cross, uh, in a version which he claims to is a very old manuscript, Jesus said, "Forgive them not, for they know what they do." Why? That's the complete opposite of what's in the King James Bible. What else? What else is going to be? That's this- going to
1: radically change a person's notion of exactly what jesus died on the cross for because typically we take it it's for the forgiveness of sins and that Mm. predates the king james bible quite considerably this appears to be advocating for jesus died on the cross to condemn every sinner to hell i mean that is a radical reinterpretation probably also supports Quite a, a large number of libertarian leaning, and I'm putting in scare quotes because once again we're not a video medium Christian.
0: Mm. Um, so it, it carries on, um, brings up the concept of eminent domain, which again is something that that would break this contract, and you can't break the contract unless you're a descendant of King James or the Pope or something. Um, and then it, it starts to get very sort of without mentioning the word sovereign citizen, explicitly sovereign citizen um, talks about the, the idea that, yes, now you are under a contract supplying the dictionary definition of what it means to be under. And, uh, and then a little bit later, it supplies the dictionary definition of what an estate is, an estate versus a state, and so on and so forth. It brings in a little bit more again of this the, the theme that we saw elsewhere in the site of how organized religion and the, the Pope and the Catholic Church... Um, are contrary to to Christianity in general. It says, uh, the article says, you bet your life the Pope has something to hide. He is no more powerful than you. The king is no more powerful than you. The American president and governors are no more powerful than you. You allow them to run your lives? Why? And um, after – at the end of it all, having having sort of rambled through this – again, when I, when I talk about sort of this is the theme and this seems to be the central claim of it, it's never actually stated that. It just kind of goes and goes and goes and goes, and this is me trying to desperately pick out a theme in it until it finally gets to the end and says – you are not a citizen of the corporate or organic state if you want to be free. You cannot claim it as your constitution and remain free. You cannot claim representatives in the legislatures and remain free. How about your estate? State and estate come from the same contract. Well, I mean, um, it's the same word with an E in front of it. It sure is. And, again, the 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 whole insinuation that I that I have taken from it, that I'm assuming it's getting at, is that, yes... It's all illegit- all illegitimate, it's all contrary to the Treaty of 1213, which apparently is the only thing that counts at all, and therefore the Constitution and everything, and it's all a lie, and and so that's why you shouldn't sit down when a judge tells you to. Oops, but I'm getting ahead of myself. That's something for the bonus episode.
1: Now, the thing which I was confounded by, by this article... Was all of it? Well, well yes, but there were specific moments of intense confoundment, Mm. which caused my brow to furrow and me even to go, maybe for me even to go? Mm. Maybe that works. For me even to go yeah? Mm. What? Why? Because I couldn't quite tell are they anti the King John Papal Treaty or for us? they're, they're, They're hinging a lot on this is the only treaty that matters. And all treaties and constitutions post-that are invalidated by the treaty of 1213. But then I was going, but I'm assuming you're a it. I mean, I'm assuming you're a it, because you're saying it was, you know, it was signed on flimsy pretenses. But you're not really stating you're a it. You're simply saying that everything post that is bad so are they going look the only treaty that we should consider is one between an english king whose lineage has died out and a pope who had no children
0: it seems to be yes no you're right It, it doesn't it doesn't say this is the only treaty that counts and and this treaty is good and we should live by it 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 seems to suggest this is the only treaty that counts, but it's bad because the Pope is bad. There there was that one little P, that one little, little paragraph about how the Lord made a covenant with Adam and Eve. And so that's the contract that really counts. And which, which then would suggest, okay, everything's currently is invalid because it contradicts this treaty, which was established for better or worse. And yet that treaty does contradict our contract with God. But yeah, no, I don't know. So I mean, it's th- this. This does seem to be th- this does seem to be a nicely sort of representative of a lot of sovereign citizen stuff. in that, in order for it to make any sort of sense, you have to rewrite history essentially and accept only the things that uh, that, that you want to accept, such as a treaty, which is largely either ignored and when it is talked about is 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 widely agreed to be a hoax and then it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense even when you get to the very end of it uh much like this podcast it's true Mm. it's very Mm. very true Mm. so i mean we've reached for for want of a better word the end of this any any final thoughts No. no 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 i've i've kind of i've any thoughts I may have had have kind of just been shuffled out of my brain in the mere reading of this. So I think I think we'd best put it to rest before things get even worse.
1: Well, if, we, if we're putting it to rest, I need to know, Josh, are you for or against the Treaty of 1213?
0: Well, given that it appears to be completely imaginary, uh, I'm thoroughly for it. Same. So I'm, mm. I'm all for
1: mm. imaginary, imaginary
0: contracts, tra- tra- yeah.
1: treaties. I mean, the, tree, the treaty of Verona sounds fantastic. It I'm, does. We'll put my John Hancock on that right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't be disgusting. So, that's the end of this episode. But we do, of course, need to go and record a bonus episode for our patrons. And as I have suggested multiple times, we're going to be looking at a, a, a very sovereign citizenish um, situation that recently popped up in a courtroom here in New Zealand. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Jacinda Ardern and her recent trip to the States. We have to, I suppose, I mean, there's all the January, January the 6th stuff going on at the moment, which we can't not mention. And maybe we should have a chat about that That. that, that um uh, Google employee who thinks his AI is sentient.
1: Yes, I do think it's important that we should have a conversation between one interlocutor who's definitely experiencing human emotions at this time and another interlocutor who is definitely experiencing definitely. human emotions at this time. I... As, two, as two interlocutors experiencing human emotions, I think it's very important for us to share those human emotions around this AI with human emotions as well.
0: Yes, my human emotions are telling me that very thing right this moment. So if you'd like to hear us talking about any or all of those things, um, become a patron, damn you. Uh, And if you are a patron, good job. Uh, But if you'd like to be one, you can go to patreon.com and search for The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. And if you don't want to be a patron, well, then you don't get to hear that stuff, but that's okay. You just got to hear, where are we sitting at? Oh, just under an hour of stuff now. So quite frankly, I, I don't see how your lives cannot have been improved by it. Uh, so I reckon that's the lot is that the lot? That is the lot that is the lot. We're, we're done we're done. We're completely done everything so, uh, from
1: here on in is procrastination and prever- I can't even say prever- prevarication prevarication? Yeah,
0: that's, A little that's bit something like yeah. that we're, yeah, just, well, we're, we're, just, we're just filling in time now. We are, we're filling in time for no reason, we could just stop it, we could just stop right now and so in fact could I think, we though? I th- we could not, l- listen watch, watch, listen, listen Goodbye, everyone. I mean, that was quite convincing, but I'm not actually entirely sure it took. Shall I try again? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I will then finish things off in the traditional method of saying goodbye. One more time. Goodbye. This time
1: with with human emotions.
0: Goodbye?
1: Ah, Mr. Hitchcock. Thank you. Durango. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. M. R. X Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast
0: via our Patreon.
1: And remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it.